Amen. Before he died, Billy Graham was returning to Charlotte after a speaking engagement, and he went out to a limousine that was waiting to take him home. And he got into the, the limo, and he said to the driver, you know, I'm 87 years old, and I've never, ever driven a limousine. The driver said, uh, well, why don't, you, why don't you try it? Why don't you try it for a while? So Billy got in the driver's seat, and they headed down the highway. Unbeknownst to Dr. Graham, there was a new state trooper down the way operating his first speed trap. And a long black limo went by him doing 70 and a 55, of course. And the trooper pulled out, caught up to the limo, and pulled, pulled him over. And the trooper went up to the driver's door, tapped on the glass, and it rolled down. And he was surprised to see who was driving. So he excused himself, said, sir, I'll, I'll be right back. So he went. And he called his supervisor up on the radio and, and said, that, you know, I know we're supposed to give maybe a little extra grace to important people, dignitaries. I know we're supposed to enforce the law, but I think I've pulled over a very, very important person. So the supervisor said, well, is it the governor? And then the trooper said, no, someone even more important. Well, did you pull over the president, he said? No, someone more important than that. The supervisor says, well, who is it? So it must be Jesus because I think he's got Billy Graham for a chauffeur. <laughs> Does that have anything to do with our message today? Absolutely not. <laughs> I think you just needed uh, a smile because it's hard to smile these days and... Uh, message today is kind of along those lines, serving when it seems impossible. We're in Nehemiah chapter 4. We are looking at the series, Vital Signs, Healthy Christians, Healthy Church. And it, it's tough to serve right now in ministry. I, I read an article this morning from Lifeway that says that probably more than now than ever before, you have a lot of pastors that are thinking of, of quitting. Not this one. Not yet. I've been at it probably a while now through some things, so that's probably why I'm still with it. I've got the scars and the burns. I can show them to you. But there are a lot of pastors that say, this is really a tough time to serve. And there are a lot of y'all that uh, it is it's tough on you too, I know. you just like, wow, I want to just throw my hands up because we need to get ahead from COVID-19 and those kinds of things. I mean, a lot of things that were already kind of in decline just really kind of been accelerated. You know, I think if we had health problems, maybe they're even more at risk now. Uh, in the church, there has been a decline in the church in America. The people are wondering, our church is going to close because of COVID-19. Denominationalism was one of those things that was always on the skids for a while, and that's becoming uh, more and more uh, passe. It's going out now. So it's in tough time for us to serve as the people of God and, and to live, but we have each other, and as I prayed earlier about some of the technical things going on here, God doesn't change. He loves us. He's here for us. There have been, if you, a study of 
any kind of history that our world's been through, there have been very difficult times like this and even worse before. And some of you may have seen those or experienced those or know some of those kinds of things I'm talking about. We're going to get through this. We are, I promise. And God has a plan for us. And we're going to look at Nehemiah's situation today because they were doing what God wanted them to do. They came out of exile. God had led, uh, raised up a leader, Nehemiah, to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. And he went and checked out the, the whole situation. He had all the resources available. People joined Nehemiah in this work. But there was some difficulties that came. And we're going to read about those now in Nehemiah chapter 4. So if you open your copy of God's Word today, and I'll read from mine. I read from the English Standard Version. You read from whatever version that, that you prefer and have before you. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of the brothers in the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish, the burned ones at that? And Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him. And he said, yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Nehemiah says, hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads. And give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captive. Do not cover their guilt, and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward, and the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. And at that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and bows. And I looked ar around, and, and I looked and arose and said to the nobles, the officials, to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And when our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of the servants worked on the construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind in the whole house of Judah, who were building on the wall. Those who carried the burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had a sword strapped at his side while he built. And the man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, 
The work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us. Rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So he labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. And I said to the people at that time, Let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes, and each kept his weapon at his right hand. May God add his richest blessings to the reading of his word today. You know, when we're attempting great things for God, that generates satanic opposition. And we try to do some good things at our church, and when God wants to do something on the mission field or anywhere, Satan wants to oppose it because we are proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And Satan doesn't want that word to go out. And God wants to restore here in Jerusalem the place of his name. He wants to build his, his beautiful city again. And then when people look at it, they think of a relationship with Almighty God. And that is why Nehemiah is there with the people. And the opposition just naturally shows up when we want to do God's work. Now, granted, there's some supernatural satanic things that come against us. But there are some natural things. Doing the work of the Lord is just hard work. It's a challenge. It's a pleasure. It is a good kind of thing to do, but it is still hard work. But humans can bring the challenge sometimes, the opposition that comes. Externally, of course, in Nehemiah's case, you got people on the outside, people that are foreigners. You know, when the Jews were taken out of the land in the exile, a lot of people filled that void, and now they're coming back. And they don't like it because there's been change in their land. These Jews now that are coming back are going to affect trade. In fact, Jerusalem sits at a, a great juncture where trade routes would come through. Essentially, it's going to affect the bottom line for these guys that are upset, Sambalot and Tobiah. So you have this external opposition that's coming against Nehemiah and the people. But sometimes it's internal. Sometimes in churches, as long as we, we say, yes, we're on fire for God. We want to reach our community with the gospel. And sometimes, though, me gets in the way. I get in the way. Our pride gets in the way. And we can cause some of the internal strife that affects the working of the church. And it even happened in the time of Nehemiah. Most of the opposition that Nehemiah faced was external. There was barriers. There were natural barriers. I mean, it was a big mess that they had to clean up, that they had to go and they had to take all the things that were all the old rocks, all the old timbers, all the old gates. They had to restore those and clean up and rebuild the city. So there was a physical barrier as well. But as we look at God's word today in Nehemiah 4, we see that there are some specific things that come up that are those obstacles, there are those barriers that happen in our lives, the things that brought Nehemiah opposition. And we can learn from those as well. And this can make us a healthy church. First, it's anger. If you look at the very first verse of 
Nehemiah chapter 4, it says that Sambalot was greatly enraged. And later on, also in text in verse 7, it says that they were angry, enraged that the Jews were doing this. And I think this was a dangerous thing because our Xerxes said it was okay to go and do this. So these guys actually were defying the, the king, but they were acting like, I don't know, like the mafia, the mob, like terrorists. They were trying to do things that were really undermining so much. But again, it was their bottom line, I believe, that was effective. They were angry because money was being taken away. And Sambalat was a Samaritan governor north of Jerusalem, and he wanted control of that area. This, this was his turf. And now Nehemiah and his people were coming, and they were a threat. They were a threat to his pocketbook. You know, when change happens in the church, sometimes we feel like our turf has been trodden upon. Let's say that God ended up bringing a whole new culture or a new demographic to our church. Then we might feel like, hey, this was our church, and now these people are here, and we're really different than them. I don't feel so comfortable here anymore. You know, if, if God leads people to your church, he led you here, should we be welcoming to other people that come? Absolutely. It's a no-brainer. I've been part of a church that the demographic changed greatly, and it was a little bit of a dicey period in time with how people would get along with one another. They had to fellowship. They had to connect with one another. But anytime we feel like I'm angry because these people are here, we got to go, wait, 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 wait. God wants to do something in our midst. If he's doing something new or bringing different people, then we ought to be excited about that and get in step, and we ought to be joyful about that kind of change. When, when people that are new Christians in your midst, they may have a lot of those questions that we all ask naively at certain times. And we are impatient with those people, and we ought to be patient with them and walk with them and disciple them and help them grow. But anger should never be a part of our lives. And anger is what Nehemiah felt, and that was one of the things that really made it hard for them to do their ministry. Secondly, the, one of the obstacles that was there, very present, was gossip, sarcasm, and cynicism. And you heard the two guys, Sambalot and Tobiah, in verses 2 and 3, they said, well, you know, there's a fox that's probably going to jump up on the wall and knock it all over. And there's a big mess that's there. What do you think these Jews are doing? You know, they're, they're going to do it for themselves. What are they going to do? Have the temple open again? Just what's going to be next? And we have to watch that in our own lives. In the church, it's real easy to start thinking about certain things out loud inappropriately. And we end up running people down that's gossip when we speak out of speak out of school behind someone's back that's not what god wants that is not speech that edifies our speech the scripture says should be for building up one another be speaking positively we need a, a heart and a, a mind of wisdom to know many times when not say anything and just be quiet but sarcasm it's attitudes about certain things we hear, things we notice. Ah. Cynicism, always expecting kind of the, the negative outcome. Oh, that's going to go nowhere. And we talk stuff down. There's no place in the life of a believer 
cynicism is what you see when you turn on your television or you get online. You see a lot of cynical entertainment. And that's the way people think they get their laughs, but really it draws people down. And that's really what they were trying to do with Nehemiah and the Jews was to talk about them in such a way that just denigrated their work and just ran them down. They were skeptical, they were pessimistic, they were doubters, they were mockers, and they had no right to do that. And we have no right to do that in the church either. We ought to be encouraging one another, building one another up, loving one another, saying the best, expecting and giving our best to one another. Threats and intimidation, that was another tactic that Sambalot and Tobiah and, and their followers were using. Uh, they were like a little terrorist group. They could send somebody out to cause problems for Nehemiah. And even if Artaxerxes came to check it out, they could say, oh, these are just some renegade people that are out there doing this stuff. But they, they made physical threats to the Jews in Jerusalem. If you go to verse 8, as we look back, it says they plotted together to come against Jerusalem and to fight against it and cause confusion in it. And down in verses 11 and 12, it says that they're going to try to get among them and kill them and stop the work. They're going to try to do something that, that is tangible. You know, it's born out of this gossip and sarcasm and cynicism and anger. It's now action. They're actually going to come in and try to shut down the work by actually physically killing the people. And we have to be careful that our words sometimes in the church and our attitudes leads to action that physically harm other people. They cause psychological damage. It may cause physical damage to them. It is sad. It is unfortunate in churches where sometimes there's seemingly open warfare between people. And that should not be. We should not be that way. We should be loving one another and caring. And it, it takes getting ourselves under control way before it gets to this extent. But this pressure, this harassment that Nehemiah felt in the people, this caused them to have to take solid defensive action. They had to go out and like sharpen the swords, get out the armor, and they had to be ready. They had to have a system of response while they worked. Another obstacle that comes up, I think we can all kind of relate to this one right now, is mental and physical fatigue. That's something that they felt in Jerusalem, when they were trying to rebuild, in verse 10, it says that they, th there was this song that went out. It says that in Jerusalem it was said that meant that somebody had penned a little something like a, a ditty out there. And people were saying the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble, and by ourselves we'll not be able to rebuild the wall. So it was like a mocking song that was going out there that was very common. And it really just showed probably a reflection of how the people felt. They were tired. They were seeing all the stuff that was going on out there, and they said, wow, we are just pooped out. How many of you remember the excitement you felt when you became a believer? You remember that? First time, it's like, wow, we're going to go conquer the world. I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to win 50,000 people for Christ, and I'm going to serve in every ministry in the church. I'm going to teach every class. You know, you just said all these designs. Some of you are laughing because, and then you kind of after a while go, well, I probably ought to back it off a little bit, get realistic. And then you start serving at some point, though, sadly, a lot of us have said at some point in time, 
I'm really pooped. I'm really tired of doing, doing ministry. I'm raising children. I'm raising grandchildren. I've got a job. I've got to go here and there. But I'm tired. And it's kind of affecting my attitude. So there's that mental fatigue along with the physical fatigue. Now, if we're trying to do the work of the Lord, yes, it, it can get tiring. But we have to remember who we work for. And a lot of times it's our attitude about our exertion that's going to make it better. Because we all only have 24 hours in a day. At some point, we have to lie our head down and go sleep. And we could do a lot better job, I think, sometimes of ordering our lives, our priorities. And that would help us in that department of serving the Lord. But it was a very real thing. Nehemiah felt all this pressure. All the, the Jews felt all this pressure from Sambalat and Tobiah, and it took its toll on them. Plus, they had to do all the physical work of rebuilding the wall and being a defensive army, as it were, while it took place. And we need to be alongside one another in the church because we need to exert self-care. We need to know our limits and to be honest about that. But we need to look out for one another and take care of one another. And we as church leaders don't need to wear people out. We need to work smart in the church and work together and work peaceful as we do so. Again, another thing that came up was pervasive negativity. There was just this constant attitude that was broadcast about the Jews and their work in verse 12. At the time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So there were Jews who were outside Jerusalem who were not committed to the work, who were critical of the work. Did you catch that? There were Jews outside Jerusalem who were not part of the work, who were critical of the work. Have you ever known someone who was a bit mouthy about something going on and they knew nothing directly about it? And you had to say, well, I love you, but... Here's the facts. And they were receiving in, in Jerusalem, it says 10 times. That means they were getting it over and over and over again. And a lot of times when we just introduce the facts to people, and we are willing to hear the facts too, because that's important, because that could be us sometimes. We could thrust an opinion out there and not have all the facts to speak about it. And we need to be educated, and we need to be grace-giving. And we need to provide information for people to make good decisions and those kinds of things in the church. But sometimes it seems to be people's sole mission in life is to be negative. And we have to lovingly walk beside those people and say, brother, but here's the good things. Do you know about those? Let's balance this all out. And it may come to the point to say, brother, have you examined kind of your speech, your thought process, that you're running down other people, that you're hurting them. That's what the intention was here, that the Jews would come and destroy the work in Jerusalem by their negativity. Fear is taken as a whole package. They were afraid in Jerusalem, rightly so, but they didn't let it paralyze them. All this package of intimidation was, was coming against them. And it says, 
and Nehemiah had to reassure them. And I, in verse 14, and I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the officials, to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And that's what we need to know when we're afraid is to know that we are, we are not alone. That we walk with a great and mighty God who loves us and will not forsake us. He wants to give us every good and perfect gift that is available to us in the midst of every challenge. And Nehemiah had to remind people that God was in this and that he was going to see this project through. So how do we respond to opposition? Well, I remember watching Apollo 13 and reading about Apollo 13, and Gene Kranz had that great quote, failure is not an option. And for believers, there are a lot of times when we say we want to, like, check out. We want to give up. We want to essentially not say we're failing. We just want to walk away. And when we walk away, when God wants us to stay, really that is failure. I hate to say that, but we, we fail ourselves. We, we don't walk with him. We have to respond to opposition. Because a lot of people just want to avoid it. They want to just completely just check out and go out the side door. Or they want to maybe make a compromise that's not biblical. But I think the best thing for us to do is to meet opposition head on. Because we do so with the word of God and the Holy Spirit as believers to respond to those things. And that's exactly what Nehemiah did. You notice the thing that he did most. Early in his ministry, Nehemiah was someone who wore out the, the carpet when it came to praying. He had calluses on his knees. He persevered in prayer. So you go back to verses 4 and 5. He says, Hear, O God, for we are despised. He lifted his heart up to God. The, even all the pressure and all the things that were going on, he said, Lord, you know that this is happening to us. And he, if you look at verse 5, it doesn't sound like one of those pray for your enemy kind of verses, but it says, Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Now, sometimes God becomes angry at our rebellion. And when we pray, we pray for people to change. We want life change to happen in people that are resistant, that are intimidating, that are harmful. And if it's us, that's where we need to start. And we need to be a people of prayer and say, God, this is a this is a mess, and I'm probably part of it. Heal me. Change me. Nehemiah was big to pray about the things that were going on around him. But I know he was a man with a repentant heart. He was a man of prayer. How can you not be to come before God so often to not deal with your own sin? It's like us. We come to church all the time, so a lot of us assume, oh, yeah, all these people, they got to really be praying. A praying people, a praying church. But sometimes there are a lot of unrepentant sinners that come to the church every week. And they have a long list of stuff that they need to deal with the Lord. But we need to deal with our own list and persevere and stay praying. He is willing to hear us. He's willing to receive us. But God is not obligated to do anything on our behalf if we don't rightly relate to him. But he persevered in prayer, Nehemiah did. He prayed over and over again. Verse 9, he prayed Again, even more. And we prayed to our God to set a guard as protection against them day and night. So as they worked, as they did every phase of this project, 
They were a people of prayer. Another way we can respond to opposition is to work with all your heart. Not half-hearted service. Not like, well, gosh, I've got to go out and go to the food pantry again. Or I've got to go on a mission trip this year. Or I've got to teach those kids. Or I've got to go see my sick neighbor. But we ought to say, I get to do those things. I get to be God's ambassador as I go on mission. I get to be God's ambassador as I go to school, as I go to my workplace. I get to be the Lord's ambassador. And I get to do it with the right attitude. And in verse 6, it says, So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. They decided that this was what they were going to do, and they were going to do so for God's glory and for his kingdom's sake. And when we have opposition and challenges in our life, we get to have the privilege to meet those head on, and we have the ability and the desire to work with all our heart. It starts right here. This is where, that's where that phrase, a servant's heart, comes from. Let's have that heart. Let's generate that. Let's teach that in our church. Let's be that servant that works with all our heart. We can also be vigilant without being paralyzed. You know, there's, there's some folks, they, they like to have their home be a fortress because they are afraid and they don't go out of their home. It, it seems they, they go to the store and they come back and set the alarm and put the 38 special on their nightstand sometimes. People are fearful of the world today. And, and there are a lot of things out there, yes, to be concerned about. And a lot of, I have an alarm system, and I have a 38 special too. The thing is, I don't let that rule my life. When there are challenges that exist, I still have to be smart, harmless as a dove, Wise as a what, the scriptures say? A serpent. You have to use that wisdom that the scripture tells us about. And Nehemiah and his people were vigilant without being paralyzed about it. Let's go back to verse 13. So the lowest parts of the space behind the wall and the open places I stationed people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. So there was a threat, and they met the threat. As you go to verses 16 and 18, how did they go about doing that? They were wise, and they worked by being, staying vigilant. From that day on, half my servants worked on the construction, half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail, and the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way, each labored on the work, and this is great. One hand, they worked. And the other hand, they held their weapons. I mean, it's kind of difficult. Got a big rock over here, sword over there, but they were doing it. And they got a spear carrying timber. They, they did it. They all were vigilant as they did God's work. Some of the translations say that they have the sword and the trowel. Now, the sword gives us assurance and the victory, but the trial is the work that we have to build. And we have to be vigilant as believers. A lot of believers are cocooned in their churches, and they're not interacting with their community. They're afraid of their communities. They talk about those people out there, and you can hear that they many times don't even know their neighbors. 
But we can be vigilant against the sin that's in the world and the sin that could creep into the church and does creep into the church sometimes. But we still have to be out about the work of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ because introducing people to Jesus is the hope of the world. And that is what we do. While we are vigilant against things, we can't get caught up in a lot of stuff out there. The main thing is letting Jesus be known and he will change them through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can be vigilant without being paralyzed. Lastly, focus on the Lord. Focus on Jesus. That's exactly what I'm saying. Make it about Jesus. If you go to verses 14 and 15 as a reminder for us, again, Nehemiah says again, And I looked and rose and saw them, said to the nobles, the officials, to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great, and awesome he is as great and awesome now as he was then and if he could be more so he is but he's always been that way he is our great and awesome god he is the one who already has bought us the victory in jesus christ in verses 19 and 20 nehemiah saying and i said to the nobles to the officials and to the rest of the people the work is great and widely spread. We are separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Now, are they going to win the battle? No, it says, our God will fight for us. That's great. That is super. That's awesome. That's fantastic. That's phenomenal. That's what we have. But we have to show up. We have to be the warriors. We have to be the builders, the we do so because we made him first and primary in our life because we focus on him. We focus on him here at the church. It's what we do. This is our ministry. This is his battle camp, as it were. And he launches us every week and every day to go and make his name famous. We see that, of course, Nehemiah, eventually they do build the wall. But it has been a challenge. And there has been opposition along the way. And it is tough at times to serve. That's why this message is called serving when it seems impossible. This is how we can get through it. Not only just get through it, but we can be victorious and build the kingdom, even in the most challenging times. Father, we bless your name. We thank you for Nehemiah's example and the people and their diligence to overcome opposition. I ask, Father, that we as a church would be able to look at our challenging times in a different way. That we would not be a part of any of the barriers that might come. That we would overcome them through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we know that you already have the victory. And I pray, Lord, that we would just be bold to join you in it in these challenging days. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. I would ask you today, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, to accept Christ, to be able to take that first step towards him. You may still have questions, but Johnny and I are here to talk to you. Karen, other people in our church want to share Jesus with you so that you might have a personal relationship with him. Accept the fact that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and commit your life to him fully. Johnny and I 
Karen and other staff will be around, of course, after the service if you want to talk about that more in the days ahead. But maybe you're here today and you're a believer and you're a member of this church and this message just spoke to you. And I pray that during our time now that we would use this as a time to focus on the Lord in our rededication of our hearts to him. So again, pray with me just once more. Father, thank you for the blessing of being able to come to you today. But Lord, you just don't want us to come and hear something and leave. You want commitment. You want life change. And I pray, Lord, today if there's a change that needs to be made in a person's life to accept you for the first time, that they would say yes to you and yes boldly. If there are believers here today that already have a relationship with you, but maybe that first love has kind of gotten cold or they're weary or worn out and they're serving and it seems impossible, Lord, I pray that you would be their strength today, that you would give them that energy, give them that perspective, remind them of your great love and presence. Pray that we'd all feel that today. Lord, I thank you for this hour we've had as a time of worship, but a time of life change. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Again, if you would like to speak to us after the service or really any time, uh, we're available for you. You can contact us on our church website or through Facebook, and we'd be happy to connect with you, and, and we're just glad that you're here and that we can minister to you.